You guys, the weather is freaking beautiful out. I am here and I'm about to indulge myself in a little bit of the, okay, a lot of bit of the cold brew from Life Foods. It's smooth. It's not bitter. It is so good. I, of course, make mine with almond milk and stevia and like these new little flavor things that I got from Marshall's that are called like Skinny Girl or whatever. I don't know. No calorie flavoring. It's freaking delicious. I stir it up. I sit on my porch and I watch the east side shenanigans go down while getting caffeinated and it's amazing. If you are interested in getting yourself some cold brew from Life Boost, go ahead and use our code UNMASK to save yourself 30%. That's U-N-M-A-S-K-E-D to save yourself 30%. So I've definitely been running more, which means my body is taking much more hard impact from the sidewalk, which means my joints are not happy. And to make them happy, I am going to a place to float. I know in the movies a lot of times they show you where you're like in a deprivation chamber and you have to be completely submerged with like a breathing apparatus. That is not what is happening here. This is if you were to fill a really big bathtub with warm water and Epsom salt giving you complete buoyancy and allowing your joints, your muscles, and your mind full relaxation. If you're interested in trying this out, Visit a place to floats website and use our code UNMASKED to get your first float free. That's U-N-M-A-S-K-E-D. Hey guys, today's podcast with Erin Hurley is a great one, but it does tackle some really hard topics such as suicide and suicidal thoughts. Take care while listening. And if you or anyone else you know has thoughts of suicide, don't hesitate to call the suicide hotline number at 988. Take care. In a world of ordinary, it's time to unmask the extraordinary with Unmasked, the podcast. With your host, Brandon Zimmerman. Welcome to Unmasked, the podcast. I feel like everybody knows me, just about everything about me. Eye candy of the night, 100%. <laughs> and Sarah Zimmerman. I want to be on the back end of RTV and just like, kick, 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 kick. Right. Um, I saw Amanda Nunez, and I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her. I want to just be her. It's time to unmask your true potential. So welcome to Unmask the Podcast. We're here with Aaron Hurley. Aaron Hurley is a black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a mental performance coach, and founder of Submit the Stigma. Aaron, how are you doing? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. All those things that I would just listen that you are, what exactly brought you to that point? What what got you on that path? Yeah. Um, so I found jujitsu through the interwebs. Um, I used to go to hardcore shows. So I used to just hang out with a lot of male dominated like areas and all that. So I was already kind of like, well, I want to go do tough stuff. So I found out that some of the guys were were training and I'm like, well, I want to try it. But I also was really nervous because I didn't have a lot of um, confidence. And I was also taking Accutane because my my acne was so bad when I was younger because I was I was like 19. Um, and I remember being like, but what if my makeup comes off on someone else's gi, you know, just feeling really insecure about stuff. And then I ended up uh, taking my first class in 2009. And then I was kind of hooked. Like, I think I signed a three year contract like that day. And so. 
it was just weird because I'm like, wait, now that I think about it, I'm like, that's a long time. It was a huge commitment, but, um, yeah, I made the commitment, you know, like I've been, I've been training for 13 years now. So, um, yeah, so it was more, it was more about wanting something that was my own, my own little thing. Cause like I did Girl Scouts for like 15 years and that was, you know, that was cool, I guess, but Cookie. it wasn't my thing. So <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I sold a fuckload of cookies, um, throughout my life. That's better um, than what I did. I just ate a fuck ton of cookies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I would just give it to my mom and she would take the order form to work. And I was like, sweet. But I, oh, actually one time I ended up being, I was, cause I live in LA. Um, and I was at a Vons, a market and we were selling outside and we couldn't ask anyone going in. That was like the, the kind of like girl scout rule you wanted to get them when they were coming out. And then I saw Pamela Anderson walk in and I was like nine, maybe. <laughs> so it was more like, wow, that woman has huge tits. And then it was like, oh shit, that's Pamela Anderson. Um, and then, yeah, that was, that's a funny cookie story. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> um, I found jujitsu and just sort of was like, well, this is my thing. And, and, and that kind of goes, that'll tie into like some athletic identity issues that I did have because I didn't have anything. It was like jujitsu. So three months in I'm competing and now I'm like, I have to win. I have to win. This is my confidence on the line, you know? Um, and so I, I was already training with like Kamala Bahal. Like I, the first gym I walked into, he was the instructor. So I got really lucky and I'm super spoiled because a lot of people, you know, they start off maybe some random Joe Schmo, um, sometimes like even a purple belt or a blue belt. And here I have like this multiple time world champion, um, black belt. So after that, I went to Cobrinias and whatnot, but, um, Definitely finding jujitsu changed my life, but also like I, I probably would have found some other tough thing to do if I wasn't doing jujitsu, um, just because I'm like not a girly girl kind of person. Um, but yeah, I think it's really, it was awesome. It was awesome finding jujitsu. I love that. Yeah. I feel like very much that same vibe where I'm like, my confidence is on the line. And it's really interesting because I feel like for me, it was like my ability to prove everyone wrong yep. that I'm not mm -hmm. just small and cute is on the line. Yep. And so like, it's, it's really refreshing to hear you say that as opposed to so many of like male athletes that I've talked to were just like, Oh, it doesn't really matter if like I win or lose. Like, it's just kind of a fun thing. And I'm like, I don't, it's so, it's such a different mindset for me. Foreign. Yeah. Do you think that really plays into like being a girl on the mats versus just a guy who's just so normally used to doing like, quote unquote, male or, you know, male typical things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've studied a little bit about it with like the research that's out there, at least for for boxers and other, you know, like uh, combat or contact sports. And it's really hard for females to get into it, but also... There's positives and negatives. So a man doing man things is very much, I have to do this because I am a man. And not only like, I have to be good at it because I'm a man, this is what I do. And so it's so intertwined usually that that can compromise their ability to see their own identity as like, um, maybe I'm not masculine enough or I'm too masculine. So females don't really have that. Females do the thing, but we are not that thing. So there's a little bit of separation, I feel. But also 
we end up losing our femininity when we try to belong. And now we're trying to be dudes, you know, like we're being one of the dudes. So it's hard to measure your femininity against, you know, like the other men that you're training with. Um, But also it's a positive because our femininity is not necessarily in question. It's kind of separate. So it's not necessarily you do this thing. So therefore you are less feminine. Um, So it's kind of, it's weird, really. Like the masculinity portion is, can be really toxic, but it can also be really beneficial for people, especially if they don't identify or they do identify as like super masculine. So it's, it's really interesting to have a female and a male dominated world that is actually good at it um, because it's fun <laughs> to, to look at a guy and be like, I'm not even a man and I could do this. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, in, in some cases you can kick their ass and some people get butthurt. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually reminiscing with, with some friends, the guy friends, and they're like, yeah, I love it when I, uh, when someone underestimates me. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I know a little bit about that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, they look at me like I am a female and like, what are you going to do? Or you're small or you're this or whatever. It doesn't even matter that I'm a black belt. They still, you, you see it on their face. You kind of break them a little bit where you could tell they're like frustrated with themselves when I'm getting the best of them. And then they finally will hopefully, you know, give in and go, wow, she actually knows what she's doing. She's trained. She's put the hours in, she's paid her dues. It's not just like, oh my God, I lost to a woman, you know, which, which happens with lower belts for sure. Yeah. I think oh, yeah. Uh, I've seen, cause I, I follow quite a few, like just a lot of jujitsu people in general. And, and some of the women I'll see in their stories, they'll post things be some some total dick bag being like oh i can totally kick the shit out of you and somebody's never mm-hmm. even trained you know that completely is just like blind to the idea of you probably don't know how to fight like you're not gonna see red like it's just not yeah. gonna happen. yeah 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 the see red <laughs> yeah i love that um there was a mma fighter at black house when i trained that his whole thing was uh when i see red my opponent sees black <laughs> it was like the pro wrestling <laughs> almost right he might be in pro wrestling now because it'd be a good realm for him i know it's uh, like he's really working on his mic work right there yeah yeah like his promo and stuff yeah. like for sure yeah i and, i hate that because like when i when i fight i just like smile i i do the heart symbol you know like i just i just have a good time like i don't it doesn't have to like it's violent as it is you don't have to yeah make it like you're just gonna kill somebody like it is it's an art it's fun you know yeah and like we're already simulating murder like we don't need to make it real it's very real as it is um but having fun is like the best way that you can go about things because if you're not having fun why are you there if you're not having fun you're going to be questioning like how how dedicated you are you're going to be frustrated maybe like with outcomes because then outcomes it's like well if i'm doing this i should win um so it's like kind of thinking about the journey and not the destination kind of thing. So like, that's a really good approach is to actually enjoy yourself and to not be so focused on the outcome. But when you do become so focused on the outcome, as I was coming up the ranks, cause I'm like, I dedicated my life to this and you know, I I'm really good and I've, I've proven that I'm good. So now I should be good again when I enter this tournament. And, oh, I won that tournament. So clearly people are going to expect me to win this tournament. And that can get really, really messy um when it comes down to it because it's like why are you there and what are your goals and if your goals become something that you can't really control too well um that's really frustrating having your whole 
identity and self-worth tied into something that you have very little control over. That was something I needed to hear this morning. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I think I um, definitely was just telling me, I was like, uh, practice isn't fun for me. It's work because I have goals. But you're right. Like if I'm not having fun, then what am I doing? I'm spending all this money, all this time for a goal that I genuinely can only control half of the outcome. Like I can only control what I do. And so like there was something in my studies that I always hold on to. And and it, it said you can influence someone's, someone else's performance, but you cannot orchestrate it. Hmm. And I was like, you can't pull the strings. You can't press, you know, X, 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 X. (laughs) Like it's, you can't control what they're going to do at all. You can't control what the ref is going to do. Like you can hope that the ref knows the rules and that, you know, they're awake enough and they're paying attention enough to really give you the advantage that you deserve or, you know, call out of bounds when it's necessary or give the penalty or don't, or, or, you know, whatever it is, they have to be so aware but people make mistakes. People are human. You know, they, the refs are human. So you can't always say like, yes, this ref is going to be super consistent and they're going to do their job exactly how I expect them to. It's also an interpretation of the rules and, and other things. So you can't control the weather. You can't control the traffic on the way. You can't control. There's so many things. So just going into like just regular like therapy, like anxiety inducing things where you can't control. It's like, except what you can't control, Um, which is obviously really, really hard. Like it it makes it sound super easy. Like just forget about it. And you're like, Like, I care. Like I I care a lot. I know. And I don't think that people understand. I was like, I think my anxiety is, it comes from the genuine, like, I don't know if I want to say like bet that I put on myself, but it is, I just care so much, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's really good advice that actually, I think, So all of this being said, this is coming from all of the studies you're doing for your mental performance coaching that you're doing. You want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what is that like? How, How did you get into that? So I've always been really interested in like the champion mindset. So, you know, I've trained under three uh, multiple time world champions. So Homolo, Cobrinha, Marcelo Garcia. So being around them, you know, and you're like, I want to be this person. I want to be like them. How can I be like them? And sometimes it's like, well, what if I just do what they're doing? Okay. Let me tell you, that doesn't work. (laughs) Um, Let me just have them guide me and passive aggressively tell me when I'm not doing well. (laughs) That doesn't work either. Um, Let me just dedicate my entire life and money and time and everything into this. Well, that doesn't work either. Because now, like we said, like you got all your eggs in one basket and now your whole self-worth is tied into these outcomes. So it was really difficult. But the thing that made me so intrigued just right from the beginning was the fact that these guys would win a title. And then like the next day, they're like, all right, what's the next one? What's the next one? And they were so hungry, but never satisfied. And so it's kind of this rat race. And it took me a very, very long time of being in it myself to realize that it's not really about the titles, because even if you did win the title, if you're not satisfied, if that's not enough for you, then you're going to be seeking out the next time and you can't win everything. It's just not, I mean, it's not human. Um, So, you know, losing becomes something that's like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. I should have won that. And then it becomes this obsession. So this obsession with winning, like 
I, I worked for Gracie Mag for many years and being a journalist, I, I was, you know, I had to ask the right questions. You can't, you know, if you're like, how do you feel after winning this world title? They're like, I'm very happy. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I could say it. Like, if I can write your answers for you, they're not good answers. So it's like pulling teeth sometimes. So that's kind of part of like figuring out what's going on in their head. Um, they can't always say it, but I always wanted Corina to retire and then I could be the one to report on it because I had been with him for so many years. And like, I'm like, yeah, like if anyone's going to report it, it's got to be me. And that never happened because the guy doesn't really think of anything like pure retirement. I think he, he was scared of that word and not competing anymore. And that's the thing. So if you just keep on going and going and going, like the the goal really isn't there. You can't make this goal of like, I want to win all the time. Like, you're not satisfied. You're, you're hungry all the time. And then you're never happy with yourself. And then you're constantly looking for that greener grass of like, well, if I just win this title, then I'll be satisfied with myself or then I'll be proud or then I'll be happy. So, um, during the pandemic and not training and everything, cause I had gone into MMA by that, by that point. So I was doing a lot of like Dutch kickboxing and, and stuff. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I was searching like what can I do with the things that I've already done, which is like interviewing and caring about, you know, the mind. But I was like, I don't want to be a psychologist. I, I was a psychology major in college for my undergrad. And I was just like, this is not what I want to do. It's very clinical. It's very by the book. It's very sterile, I guess you would say. And I'm like, this is not me. I'm the type of person that just wants to like sit down with someone and be like, so what's up, bro? Um <laughs> And, and then, you know, like with Submit the Stigma, um, you know, starting that, it was like, well, let's start bringing in the conversation of mental health because people are scared of mental health. Then I realized that's a little too clinical, even still for some people. So I found this program, uh, University of Western States offers the online um, master's for sport and performance psychology. And once they have a specific curriculum that ties into the uh, AASP, the, um, the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, so they have this certification. So once you have your graduate degree and you've taken the, the correct coursework, then you do mentorship hours, which I'm starting already. So I'm starting that officially, I guess it would count uh, April 10th. So um, you get your hours, you get all, of, you take an exam, and then you finally get certified. And that was more like, I don't want to sit in an office and have people like, like fill out paperwork and whatnot. I want to be on the mats. I want to be like doing workshops. Like I already do when I teach seminars. So it kind of all came, came in at once. And it was like, wow, this is everything I've, I've done. So I get to really pay attention to the mind, but also throughout the program, it was like, fuck, I could have used this when I was competing. Like I could have had someone help me with this and that's kind of where it comes from personally, where it's like, I know what that feels like. Like I have been there. I have, I have experienced so many things within like the jujitsu community, being in a small niche of just not having a professional, uh, like real professional league of any kind. There's no governing body officially. Um, we don't have the Olympic committee that's like, here, you need to do this, this, this. So we can't even agree on a rule set. Um, yeah. So guiding people. Yeah. You have to go, you have to pick one rule set if you're going to go into the Olympics and whatnot. No, and there's <laughs> a bunch of egos. So they're all like, mine's better. No, mine's better. Yeah. So there's just, it's a lot to navigate. And um, I wanted to help people not only navigate it, but 
feel like they can fulfill their own goals rather than just focusing on what other people want you to do or winning tournaments. Like that was it. It was like, once I was a white belt, I was like, I want to be a black belt world champion and nothing else will do. So it was just like, that's it. And then everything became just that. (laughs) And it was like, I can't that who fucking does that? Like I just started, like I'm a white belt, like, you know, you got, yeah, a good 10 years at least generally before black belt. So it's like, you're already, yeah. and then you got to figure out, well, what are my small minor goals in between then? Yep. Yep. Because maybe I want to get a stripe in six months or, you know, I don't know, but. Right, right. The small things, you know, you break it down. There's three types of goals, process, performance, and uh, outcome. Obviously process is like, I want to go into training and I want to work on my guillotine. So I'm going to try to guillotine everybody. And then based on their reactions, I'll have more data. And then like, I'll get better at it. And then as I get better at it, then my training partners will get better at defending it and so on. And then you, those are really easy to control because it's your choice and what you're doing. And then you have performance goals, which is like, well, you know, in my matches, I want to make sure that I use that guillotine that I've been working on. Like, that's what I'm going to go for. If I can accomplish that, I'll feel really good about myself. Um, And then outcome is the least controllable. And so it's like, well, if you do the process goals and you do the performance goals, that outcome is mo- is more likely to happen if you've planned them accordingly. And of course, there's a bunch of other things like arousal and anxiety and attention and all these other aspects. But that's how you set those goals. You you set them in small chunks and also in terms of like how successful am I going to be and how much is this out of my control? And then you build from there. So like, yeah, breaking it down is huge, but also choosing the right goals. A lot of people choose goals that are not realistic. Um, and so like, like being a black belt world champion before I even gotten my first stripe, like <laughs> someone should have been like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Just chill. That's, that's the entire mountain when you need to take a couple of steps first. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, and then it just, it kind of was like, I remember Hamilo was like, wow, you're really flexible. And I was like, does that mean I'll be good? Literally. <laughs> yes, that's how it feels. Everyone's like, wow, you have really good like movement. I was like, does that mean I'm awesome? Does that mean I'm yeah. the best girl you've ever seen? And I'm like, uh, sometimes I'm like, why am I like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, validation is nice. But at yeah. the same time, like when you have these lofty goals, and you have no idea how to actually get there, you're just like, is this it? Yes. <laughs> is this gonna bring me to my goal? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think about the guy like, with the butterfly. Literally, yeah. that's what I was like. I'm that meme yeah. with the butterfly. Yeah, the meme. Literally. <laughs> no, I nice. just I think that uh, I actually started using a planner called the uh, Passion Planner, and they really did a beautiful job of like breaking down like a goal like roadmap, basically like mm-hmm. what do you want in here, and then breaking it down to like monthly goals, weekly goals, daily goals you know, but also we went to, um, our marriage counselor and we like, she broke us down, like what a smart goal is. And I think that people don't, I mean, that's not something that you learn about unless you're seeking out a therapist or something like that, or, you know, that I just genuinely didn't know about until I think I finally did the Ivy tech, like class one, how to be a student and they were like this is what a smart goal is this is what yep. you need to be doing in school and I was like and that was what like four years ago yeah so some of the some of yeah. the biggest questions are like people are like well, what are your goals and like uh you know like right 
you don't pick you either pick like something that's huge or you don't pick a specific thing it's like i just want to win like okay but what are yeah. the to, to make that process and, and all those other things sorry one, my is itching your ear <laughs> one of the questions that i like to use is what does that look like so like they'll say i want to be better okay like yeah. better what better from what better to what better like that's so vague um and then it's like, well, I want to win. And again, that's being really like, well, how are you going to get there? And then it's, oh, I want to be happy. Okay, buddy, that's that's a little, like, how do we measure that? There's no way to necessarily measure that. So then it becomes, well, I want to um, achieve, I want to be able to pass a guard today, you know? Um, and then it becomes, well, what? what type of guard and what type of pass are you going to use? A lot of the times people are like, okay, so when I get in the tournament, my first match, I'm going to pull guard and then I'm going to sweep. And I'm like, all right, so how are you going to pull guard? I don't know. There's a pull guard. Well, what grip are you going to make? I don't know. Like, yeah. let's get really specific and in, into like how you're going to do this because a goal is like, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. Now, how am I going to get there? So if you have no idea what this end looks like, like I, I'll, I'll even ask people, I'm like, you wake up, you've achieved your goal. What does it look like? Where are you? Uh, what are you eating for breakfast? Uh, what's the first thing you do? What, what notifications are coming up on your phone? Because if you can't picture yourself there, you have no idea how to get there or when you're there. So you have to know what that destination looks like with all of those other factors in, in your life. Because we know that like, just because a goal is in jujitsu doesn't mean that it's separate from our own lives. Like everything is sort of intertwined. And then also one of the things that they, they changed in my program from the smart was smarts. So at the end was self-appointed. So it needs to be your own. Like it can't be what someone else wants for you or what's expected of you it has to be truly your own your way and your your path because otherwise the the adherence to that goal is going to be way less likely because okay. now you're not doing it for yourself you might be doing it for someone else which is not as motivating yeah, so here as much yeah so it's like i i can't I mean, if someone else wants me to win a tournament, it's like, if I don't have my own, you know, goal set for that, like, obviously you, when you enter a tournament, it's expected that you want to win it. But if I'm too focused on, like, I need to win this for someone else, that e extrinsic or external motivation is way less powerful as it is intrinsically. So that's why we always try to pull from like intrinsic rather than focusing on like the ego or what someone else would want for you. Are you also then telling them, Hey, go also to a therapist, go also to someone because then we can work together to help separate. Are these goals that you actually want or are these goals what you want because of what everyone, because of what your mom and dad said to you because of what, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like going deeper. There's right. definitely, so my job is the performance domain and performance is not just like actually performing or just competition. Um, performance can also be anytime that you're under pressure. So like I can work with first responders. Um, I can work with business execs, like anytime that you're under pressure, like, and you need that like ability to, 
ground yourself, to have set goals, to feel good about yourself, feel confident, all of those matter. Um, that's what I help with. As soon as it gets into like, we kind of have this like image of like, when you're unstable, or you're kind of like not doing too well, like mentally, that's where a therapist comes in. As soon as you're stable and upwards, that's where my domain is. So it's my job to understand when I am no longer competent. So ethically, that's when I would refer. And like, just because you have a therapist doesn't mean that you can't also have a, um, a sports psychology consultant. And so, um, working hand in hand, like that's super duper ideal because I have, I have a client who is a therapist or a counselor. I have a therapist who has a counselor or therapist. So it's really interesting because of how different it is and, um, how focused my job is. Cause I'm like, well, we're working on this specific area rather than like your, your traumas. Like, can we talk about your traumas? Absolutely. Um, but I can't diagnose. I have, I had to take a course actually where I had to diagnose people, um, because that's just understanding when they need to be referred. So if I have no idea, like, oh, that, that, you know, I can't be like, oh, that sounds like OCD or that sounds like depression or that sounds like whatever. Like if I don't know that and I can't identify it, then I don't know when to get that person care that I can't offer. But in the future, I actually have a friend. So my husband lives in Niagara Falls, Canada. So I spend, you know, half my time there. And I have a friend who literally just passed her certification or her licensure for psychotherapy. And I'm like already like, let's do a practice together because now we can, we can work together on the same clients and offer different services, but also collaborate so that they're getting like really true, like, I guess, uh, care, you know? Um, so that's like my dream is to have like this inter, I guess, discipline, disciplinary team. Like if I think about it again, in the beginning, I was like, man, I would love to go to the UFCPI, for example, the performance Institute, because you go there and I've been inside in the one in Las Vegas. It's like, you have a nutritionist over here. You have a physio over here. you got a strength and conditioning coach or athletic trainer over here. You've got a dietitian over here. Like, so it's, it's just like, everything is equal, but there's a stigma against mental health or mental health professionals or, or even sports psychology, because they assume that if you're seeing a psychologist or even a consultant, that there's something wrong with you. And that's not true at all. That would be like, if you went to a nutritionist or a dietitian, it'd mean that, oh, you, you have an eating disorder. Well, no, you don't have an eating disorder. You just want to know what, what best to, to fuel yourself, you know, for what you're going to be doing. So that's kind of the same thing for sports psychology, but it's harder with the stigma. So if I'm just one of those stops along the way of their, uh, you know, of their, their journey to get better, it makes it so it's like, well, yeah, of course I have one of those people. Of course I have one of those people. And I'm just one of those people on the list. So that's like my dream. Um, I haven't had too much, like I've had people really interested in, in working with me already, um, so I don't really worry, like I won't get clients, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I, I definitely, there still is the stigma that like, if people know that you're working with someone, then maybe that means that you had a, you know, you, you were failing or you are crazy or, you know, you, you 
you're not good enough, you know? And so it's, it's funny because those feelings are the exact things that I can work on with someone. Um, but if they don't see me, then I can't help them. So. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea of looking at it as like you go to a nutritionist to fuel your body, but at the same time, it's you're, you're fueling your mind essentially yeah. with the good, you know, you're not putting junk in it. So mm-hmm. I think if you look at it, I mean, I, it's becoming less of a stigma. I feel like nowadays um, oh, yeah, for sure. more jobs are offering mental health help. It's not, nowhere near where it needs to be yeah. but, but it has improved and that's where I the yeah. yeah. Is, so will you talk a little bit about that because I first heard about it from Jared yeah Jared told us about and it. then um I just think I mean personally it's it's super important to my life and my daughter's life and so we ended up making a donation for one of Brandon's like Christmas gifts one year and so I was like cool like what else can we do with this so talk a little bit about that because I think you'd be better at explaining it than I I would (laughs) yeah so it first started in 2016 is when I felt like made it official but I was already starting to use the hashtag in 2015 um so I've always struggled with um, my mental health and also obviously being in the performance domain. Like if I didn't have my mental health working, then it was very hard to perform in the performance domain. Um, And so for me, it was, I went to a therapist, um, not until I was like 21. So I should have seen a therapist since I was a kid. I was told by my private school when I was like in preschool that I should get tested for ADD. My mom yeah, my mom took me to the uh, the doctor, the pediatrician that had known me for my very short life. He said, nah, she's just smart. Um, yeah, so, and, and I have a Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, I exactly. Am. And uh, so, I mean, for, for females, it presents differently. For yeah. We don't necessarily have the outward hyperactivity um, or like that attention deficit where we're just like, what's over there? What's over there? It's more intrusive thoughts, um, issues with like self-esteem and rejection. Um, it's obviously with focus, it, it, it's, you know, it's there, but it's more like you can only really excel at the things that you enjoy. If you don't enjoy them, it's very hard to do them. So I ended up, you know, going through my whole entire childhood of just like getting in trouble, like all the time on my report card, it would be talks too much because I would get my stuff done. And then of course I'd be like, oh my God, Stacy, what are you doing over there? Really? Um, and it was really like, I always felt like I was doing things wrong, but I'm like, I'm just being myself. Like I, I really have good intentions. I'm not trying to, to mess things up for myself or anyone else. Um, and then I, so I had a lot of issues like growing up in terms of like that, where my parents probably or definitely should have taken me, but they didn't. My mom had her own issues and my dad had his own thing of like, oh, we don't need that. You know, the stigma. Yep. And so it wasn't until I was a full-blown adult and I'd already started jujitsu because jujitsu kind of empowers you to like, wow, I can actually do things for myself. And so I sought out a therapist and the same topic ended up, you know, arising with this conversation of ADD. And I'm like, do you think that I could be ADD? And he goes, well, you're either ADD or you're just smart. I'm like, this was a man. So I don't know if that was just, and again, this was what, 2011, you know, around there. So I mean, it was still relatively new for like, wow, females have, very different experiences with with ADD. So 
I was like, you know what, I'm going to go the former route and I'm just going to go with that. And I started on um, Concerta with a psychiatrist and like that helped me finish school to stay focused enough, um, which is like that slow dose uh, Ritalin. And then it was like, well, I also have anxiety and depression um, issues as well. So then I, you know, I was trying to deal with that. And then also with jujitsu and like losing was so, so hard because it felt like rejection. It was like a stab in the heart every time I lost, especially when I committed so much of my life to, to achieving those goals. I think my neck is going to get sore. Just like nodding. Like, yeah, so many people feel the same. Um, and so, you know, like it's hard because I was always like that crazy bitch, um, who like was really emotional. So like, I, I cry when I'm angry. I cry when I'm just frustrated. Um, and then I you cry more because you're crying. Cause you're frustrated. Yes. You're crying yeah. Or... The hyperventilating, yes. all of that. Um, so like that whole rejection thing, like, man, I'd have, I'd have times I'd go to class and I, I wanted to go with Stephanie, but Alex was there and Stephanie and Alex always go together. And so now I'm scrambling for a partner and I would just leave because all of a sudden that narrative in my head would say, nobody likes you. Um, nobody wants to train with you. Now you have nobody. So I'd go over to Cobra and I'd be like, I gotta go. And he's like, we started class. Like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. And I just like go like cry like crazy in the bathroom thinking everybody hates me I suck you know all these these things that like would just sort of snowball so easily in my mind um and so obviously you know coming to terms with realizing that I have something wrong with me but like not necessarily it's not my fault right so it's like it's genetics it's like the, the trauma divergent now yeah. exactly yeah. yeah I'm just special yeah um <laughs> So, uh, 2015, I was living in New York city and I was with, um, my ex and we were living in an apartment in Jersey and then commuting into the city every day, um, for Marcello's. Um, and unfortunately I got a call that my dad had died by suicide, uh, at home and that, you know, it was a whole, it was, it was fucking awful. Um, you know, my mom found him and, and all this oh, stuff. Um, but it was like, I had been so transparent and I ha I've had a blog since I was a white belt you know and 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 being um like a reporter being a journalist you know I'm like you know th there's no way that I'm gonna let this go under the rug and being like yeah my dad died I don't know mysteriously like it it it's it's a disservice to not tell people this is what happened because it is so so common yes. and the more that we sweep it under the rug the more that it's going to happen that people are not going to search for help because they don't think there is any and the people around them are going to judge them or the people around, they're going to be a burden. Like there's all of these things that go on with the, the, you know, the, the, the events that lead up to someone's suicide. Um, I like to say that it's like people choose their own expiration dates um, to the point where they're like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And there's, it's so complicated. We don't know why. It's so complicated. It is so Super. complicated. And it's always, it always frustrates me a lot when people are like, but they were so happy, but they were so this. And I'm like, what about their kids? What about their, like, like literally, or I thought I heard somebody and it was on a dateline in like Sweden, but it was like, this is such a selfish option. And I'm like, you have no <laughs> idea 
how and and how fast those thoughts start yes. to go through your head and it's it literally takes a second yep you're just yep. like and you can't undo it so it's just it's so hard it's so so hard yeah and- it's very and it, and like how do you how do you explain it when you don't even know why yourself? Exactly. Exactly. Because you, know? you definitely have those moments where you're like, but I'm so happy. I don't understand this. And you're like, why do I feel like this? And yeah. you're like, because there's a scientific reason and you yeah. get yourself help. I mean, yes, we there's help. Yeah. Prevention hotline, like plastered all over our walls in the house, yeah. just, just in case, you know, right, right. My daughter deals with anxiety, depression, ADHD, ADHD for me, please. Yep. And the side of anxiety. Thank yep. You. Yep. So, yeah. It's always there. Um, and people don't get help because of the stigma. So what I did was I made a GoFundMe page and I had people uh, donate to the National Alliance on Mental Illness because they have chapters in every state. So I'm like, well, if my dad was ever going to research things, like he researched how to die, he would research something that didn't feel intrusive or he didn't have to walk into a doctor's office because he hated the doctors. Um, And so it was more about what resources are out there that are not going to make you feel bad about yourself because NAMI offers like peer groups and, um, and other informational stuff. So I, I found that a lot of people came out of the woodwork and they were like, you know, my mom died by suicide or I have deep depression that nobody knows about, or, you know, and knowing that there were so many other people in the community, I felt like I needed to stand up and say, this is something that is going on. And if you won't stand up, I understand. I don't expect you to, but I'm in the position now that I've made this known that, you know, I've suffered my own issues. And now in the the beginning, it felt like now I had a pedestal to talk from, which is sad because the, the, what gave me the credibility was that my dad died by suicide. Not, not that I, that I have dealt with my own issues. It was, oh my God, poor you, or, oh my God, you're so strong. Like, how did you do that? You know, it was almost like like someone was willing to listen because they knew it was empathetic for them to listen because you mm -hmm. had something going on as opposed to listening to your quote unquote problems all the time, which is like a really fucked way to look at it. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it because it's like, you know, oh, everybody has problems. Oh, right. everybody, you know, deals with stress. Oh, everybody I, gets depressed sometimes. Right. If I'm dealing with it, why can't you just deal with it? Just exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just knuckle down and deal with it. Yeah. You know, this is, Especially as a man, for yeah, sure. Right. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Be a man. Um. And so it's you look at okay. Well, my dad didn't have any he felt he didn't have any more options and this is what happened. So I know that there, and like you start looking into it because now it's, it's not only something that my dad did or happened to my dad. It's something that happened to me. It happened to me. I didn't have any, any say in it. I didn't have anything to do about it. I can't do anything about it afterwards. It's a very permanent decision. So it was like, well, what can I do moving forward? What can I do? Again, going back to the, what can I control? Like what is in my control and what is not? And then it became, well, the next tournament that I do, I'm going to make a sign that says, you know, submit the stigma of mental illness. I'm going to hold it up. 
And so I did that at 2015 Pan Nogi. I did that. Um, and so then people were like, what is this? And then I, and then I went to the Nogi worlds a couple months later and I ended up winning. And that really helped because it was like, wow, she can do the thing and she's fucked in the head. <laughs> um, she's just know, like, like me. Like, <laughs> right. So it's like, wow, she could do that. And and, you know, suffered from all this stuff and, and trauma, you know, because it was like maybe six months later, not even. Yeah, it was less than six months later that I that I won. And then, you know, I, and then the next thing I win is the Europeans at, at Brembo. And it was just like, cool, like I'm, I'm building my brand as someone who this is what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to show that you can be both. Um, you can both have mental illness and win shit, which is obviously the only thing that matters, especially back then. So, I mean, it was like, it was definitely sending the message and then having it as a hashtag, I just wanted it to be shared. Hashtags were a lot bigger back then too. Um, (laughs) That was a big thing. And so it was like, I needed to create a community. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the education necessarily. It was about the awareness. Like education obviously goes hand in hand with awareness, but you can't, you can't give someone any education about something if they don't give a shit or if they don't know about it. So it just became, let's scream this from the rooftops. Um, And it became a really, really big thing where I would go teach a seminar anywhere around the world. And I'd say, okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Smith the Stigma and there'd be people who had heard of it because it catches fire. It's definitely something that it's like, wow, like I've been suffering from that. And let's be real. A lot of people in combat sports in general uh, have their own demons. You know, um, you don't just go assimilate murder uh, because you're completely healthy. <laughs> like, no, yes, you are, but I'm gonna fight this guy because I just feel great about myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like I That's love, wonderful. I love war. I love <laughs> fighting. Yeah, there's gonna be a big number of people who are gonna identify with it, but I really didn't know until I started it. And so now um, we have a whole board of of you know people who are actually tell me what to do and you know are guiding me and help me with stuff. And now we're like, hey, we should actually go for lots more money because with more money we can do so much more. We can have more programs. We can now we could sponsor someone who you know, to go to therapy, we can do all of these things. Um, but before it was like, oh, no, it's grassroots, like, oh, yeah, if you want to make a donation, that's totally fine. But now that we have like everything in place to do so, um, we are now moving towards getting like corporate sponsors and stuff, because I think, you know, getting getting big, it's not about the money, but it's about the reach and like what we can do. And I want it to be like a household name. I want to reach out to other combat sports because it's so much, you know, entwined with the jiu-jitsu community that I want to go into, you know, Muay Thai and boxing and all these other, you know, MMA and then going into other sports, like eventually. Um, But I think that, you know, submit the stigma really is about I guess, creating a community where people are like, cool, you're, you're not alone. Um, and that was something that I needed to hear that when I went to these classes and Stephanie was going with Alex and I, you know, didn't have a partner and whatnot, it was like, there's more people to understand. And now we have a, we have a, a mental health conscious Academy course that now with instructors and owners, they can do a four hour course every month. Um, you get certified. We have them every month. 
and you role play, you learn about the signs of maybe like someone who's going through a tough time, how to approach them non-judgmentally, how to um, help them if they want to get help. Um, so it, it makes it more so that when that happens, more instructors, more coaches, more people with authority, more black belts, whatever, uh, could understand that, oh, this is probably a mental health issue. And, you know, um, you don't need to have a diagnosis or a mental health disorder to have mental health issues. Everybody does. Everybody deals with anxiety. Everybody deals with disappointment, um, with stress. Um, and obviously in jujitsu, we put ourselves under stress. That's literally the point. So it all kind of goes hand in hand for someone to recognize, like, I could probably help calm this person down if I just have a conversation with them, you know, and telling them to relax is not no. the way to do it. Why just you- calm down, oh, calm yeah. down. Like, oh, right. Thanks, G. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And like, the thing is how, how you speak to someone so much, like it's so much, it's so important. it's definitely how you say something not necessarily what you say because how you say something really proves intent um if you're like just calm down like you know like yeah like you're fucking up my vibe um versus like (laughs) hey like is everything okay i'm worried about you yeah there's there's completely different tone different intention um, and how you're going to be received is going to be way different. You're asking for a fight. If you can't tell someone to just like, calm the fuck down, uh, versus like, what can I do to help you? Yes. I literally, yeah, we actually teach that through a series called second steps in the elementary school that I teach at, because I think when you're brought up in a trauma filled environment, anyway, you are not taught the language of um tonality you know I think when and I teach that to my students constantly even Mm -hmm. not in second steps like hey does it sound like this person is you know sorry if they're like sorry you know I'm so sorry or sorry or you know like it's such and I said we start learning tones before we even know the language tonality is so important and the way you speak to people really resonates so much faster than what you're about to say right and some people get caught up on what they want to say like I don't know what to say right well like let's let's think about just being there for the person what would you say if you were in that situation and you just wanted someone to give a shit right to speak to you as if you matter and to speak to you like with with respect but also like I may not understand exactly what you're going through but like I'm here for you and that that like is really really huge and you saying that like we know the feeling but without the language reminds me of Brene Brown who I just I love like she's like she's just amazing she calls herself a shame researcher but she talks about vulnerability and courage and she has a many books but one of them is called atlas of the heart where she defines emotions because how can you tell someone what you feel without the language to do so um and so it's it kind of i think she has a list of 87 different emotions and now on hbo max she has a series where she does this it's like a talk show almost so they just film her talking to a bunch of like grad students and whatnot but it's she a uses head talk <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah, okay it's like four or five episodes oh, um I and i could only process that like one a day i'm almost like let's watch yeah, another yeah. one and i'm like no we must sit with this yes yeah, so we have to um, sit and digest it so yes we have to like let this yeah. sink in yeah. 
Um, and so she uses movie uh, clips and she'll like put a whole montage of like one emotion. And the first one that she goes through, she says, what do you think this is? And it's this like long ass montage with like all these examples. And I watched it with a guy friend of mine um, and for the second time. And I'm like, and I knew right away, it was awe or wonder, right? It was like, oh, wow. You know, that's what it was over and over and over again. Um, and I'm like, Dan, what do you think this is? Like, I'm genuinely interested in what you think this is. And he's like, happy. <laughs> and I, I laughed because he just doesn't, he doesn't have the words for it. Like he, he's like, he, he gets it, but he doesn't understand what the word is for it. And so, and, and men especially are, are more likely to not understand the language of emotion because, oh, that's for sissies. Like, I don't feel anything. I'm I tough mean, as just, shit. Well, also just in like the literature we read, you know, like I read, you know, Little Women and I read this and I think Louise May Elcott like used a variety to become a better writer. You need to have other words. And so I show instead of tell. Right, exactly. So I was able to pick that up. Whereas I feel like, you know, you're watching various different shows like Power Rangers, although I fucked with some Power Rangers. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. PM every <laughs> oh, day. Yeah. <laughs> I read um, lots of comic books. And right. Stuff and, and I think yeah. like the, the vocabulary in those specific things are very different than, you know, if I were to read Pride and Prejudice, which I've never read, but I heard it's pretty good. So we'll it's see. so long. I, I mean, that's what I said. I was like, could we get it in graphic novel form? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And also, like, I think you brought up vulnerability, which is one of your six core beliefs that you're at submit the stigma, which is for me, really hard to say at this moment. Sorry. <laughs> how do you find, how do you get people to be vulnerable in sports that is built on that backbone of like, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be tough. So the way that Brene Brown is able to spin it and makes more sense is that vulnerability is very fucking hard to do. It uh, takes courage. Uh, it is one of the toughest things that you can do. Imagine going out there, going into a position, maybe you're in the finals of worlds, you know that everything is on the line. So most people would choose not to even do it in the first place. So people don't recognize when they're being vulnerable, but it's any time that you take a risk. And oh. oftentimes it has to do with another person, being vulnerable with another person. Because now you don't, again, you can't control or orchestrate what someone else is going to do or feel or think or behave. So when you say, I love you to someone, that's vulnerability because now you don't know. You just, you put all your cards out on the table. You got nothing else. Like you, you're in it. You know, you can't be like, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I meant I kind of like you a JK. little bit. Yeah. You're right. right. Uh, I think it was like liar, liar at the end when she's on the plane and the guy's like, I love you. And she's like, mm, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, like, because now when, when you put all your cards on the table, the outcome matters so much more versus if you don't put yourself out there, like who are you to, you, you don't, you know, risk, no reward. Um, you know, there's that whole, like, uh, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that said it, but it's like not the critic who counts, but the man in the arena. 
um, how you can't criticize what someone does when they're putting it out on the line, when you're the one that's playing it safe and you don't even do that. Tell so, that to all the UFC fans yeah. in the audience. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. People. <laughs> Stand them up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, trying. <laughs> like, even, even before I started training MMA, I used to always be, because I watched UFC for many, many years. And I'm like, how hard is it to just like keep your hands up? And as soon as you do a sparring round, like the first thing that happens is it lowers, it lowers. You're tired. You're tired. It's just exhausting. this. <laughs> and it is so exhausting. It's literally your body being like, please stop putting your yeah. hands up. And you're like, I have no control over this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're just like chicken winging it now. Cause you're just like, I can't. Yeah. Um, and so it's so easy to be on the outside and when you're not in it. And I, and I realized that, you know, I'm so calm when I'm not the one that's competing, but when I compete, I'm shitting my pants. So just the, the act of being like, wow, I'm the one that has something to lose. If you have something to lose, then you are vulnerable and vulnerability takes so much courage. You're a bitch. If you're not vulnerable, like See, you're a little bitch. You're, you're a little bitch. You're a little bitch if you're not. <laughs> um, that is how we reframe yeah. that. Yeah, I'm putting it on my next shirt. Don't be a little bitch. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's what I've always done is where I've empowered myself is trying new things and putting myself out there. So obviously there's two ways to go about it. You can go, oh my God, I put everything out there and I didn't win. Or you could say, I put everything out there and that alone is so powerful and is going to serve me later in life when, when there's something that I want, but there's going to be a risk and I have to have a leap of faith and I have to believe in myself that on that day, like this is what I've had to tell some of my clients is that a competition is not whether you are better than everybody else. It is not how good you are. It's how good you are on that day in that moment in those circumstances. So that's why like you want an even playing field because you want to be able to say that on this day, I took whatever was thrown at me and I still accomplished my goal. We can't make it perfect. There's nothing that's going to be perfect. I used to try to eat the same breakfast. I used to try to, because I won one time and I was like, well, let's try to repeat that whole thing. Let's eat the same thing. Let's sleep the same amount of hours. Let's listen to the same song over and over again. But there was no true. I was just like throwing, throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick. And it's then it would be like creating that control. Truly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, obviously, if I, I can recreate this by doing things that I did before, but it's not about the doing. It's about the feeling and the thinking, because those are the things that are going to actually affect your performance and what you do. Like. You can't just tell yourself like, I'm going to go do this. Well, how you feel about it matters. If you are nervous, like that's going to affect your performance. You're not weak. You're, it's normal. How are you going to deal with it in that moment? We, it's, it's accepting that this isn't great or this isn't perfect, but this is what we're going to do about it. And so when someone wins a tournament and there's so many times, and this is the going back to the fascination I had a lot of the times if someone lost like at the final of worlds, they'd be like, you know, he just had a better day than me. What the I, fuck that, does that mean? Literally yeah. that boggles my mind. Mm -hmm. I do not understand that mindset. Like, I'm like, what does that mean? You li right? like, 
for me, it's always like I let down every single person who yeah. trained with me, you know, whoever rooted for me. I'm letting everyone down, and they're just like, they just had a better day. And I'm like, what the in the ego <laughs> is yeah. happening? Yeah, what does that mean? Like, do you do you even know what you're saying right, right now? Yeah. So a lot of it is being your best in that moment with those circumstances, with those hardships, and planning those things ahead of time. We do what's called like a mental uh, toughness rehearsal, which is coming up with those other plans. Someone who says like, no, 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 like whatever happens, happens. Well, no, we can control how we react to it, how we feel about it, um, how we respond to it. So there's all of these tools that you can gather that helps you be the most consistent. You want to be the most consistent. The person who is most consistent is most likely going to win. Someone who is affected by their surroundings too much, like, and, you know, we go and we, we go to worlds, we go to Abu Dhabi, we go to Brazileiros, we, you know, I say we as in like, you know, the, the high level people who have committed to like metal chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to be in so many different areas that you're gonna have jet lag. Maybe you can't find the right food that you need because you can't read what's on the fucking labels. Yeah. Um, like there's going to be like in Abu Dhabi, we always used to like, we'd look at the water bottles and we're like, fuck, there's sodium in here. Like, how are we supposed to cut weight? Um, Or, you know, one time I I cut weight in Abu Dhabi and it's so hot outside that the water doesn't get cool. So like, I was like, really, really like, oh my God, I made the weight, but I'm like feeling really weak. And my friend was like, well, go take a cold shower. That should help. Cause I was eating ice cubes. They're like, bro, you're going to put the weight back on. And it didn't get cold enough, you know? And you're just like, uh, like, what do I do? I'll take Um, a warm shower. Yeah. Like lukewarm is totally cooling me off. So it's, it's like, how do you deal with all of these circumstances? And that's what comes down to the mental toughness. And, and also, you know, the whole, like, well, you know, they were just better than me that day. It's like, well, if you think about it, there's a lot of split decisions that we have to make in jujitsu in life. Even if you think about even just driving, right. One mistake and it's done in jujitsu one mistake. And, you know, if you can't, recoup in that match if there's not enough time or if you like one client uh fought pans and he was up by two advantages and he thought he had a whole minute so he rolled for a rolling back take and the kid ended up getting um a sweep on him and then he lost and it was like his choice because he didn't understand how much time he had um there's so many times when people don't have the mat awareness um, I lost worlds at Brown Belt because we were playing in the yellow, which is you know, the border of the IBJJF. And we were already out of bounds. She attacked. I defended. And then obviously it made me go further out of bounds. And they gave her two because it looked like I was fleeing, even though we were already in the yellow. Wow. So like it was just, yeah. So like knowing that I'm where I am in the mat to know when I'm going to be reset. People who go for takedowns right outside of the mat and then go, where are my points? I took them down. Well, you took them down out of bounds. So next time pull them in. So there's so much that goes into like the cognitive processing, plus the emotions, plus the environment and how we feel about it. So it's learning how to create the most, I guess, opportunistic positioning, like in terms of how, how likely you are to accomplish your goal. Um, 
in that day, you know, but that's what, that's why we watch competitions. Like, cause you don't know who's going to win. You truly don't know, you know what their capabilities are, but you don't know what their state of mind is on that day. You don't know if, if, you know, like it, it, you really don't know we're human, you know, we make mistakes, we feel, we, we respond to our environment. We do things that we can't even explain sometimes. So it's very hard to have a consistent performance and then know that when you go into the next performance, that it's going to be exactly the same. You cannot recreate performances. You can do it. You can try. It could be a good, good goal, but like, it's never going to be exactly the same, you know? I and that's also you- staying humble too. Like oh, yeah, not sure. today, you could have beat me tomorrow rather than this means that I am better than you. I am superior and I deserve yeah. more than you all the time. I had, I had a friend I, I that used to beat the crap of me in the gym all the time. And like, we, we did a competition against each other and I actually beat him in the competition, which yep. is like, mind blowing. I know. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. How did that even happen? You know, cause I subbed yep. him too, which is like, wow. I never sub him. He always either subs me or just like kicks the shit at me in points. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I had my day, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Do we still talk about that sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> hey, buddy, that, that was a win. Time, that one time I got you? No, I do. Anyways, I do. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I get the medal that day. You didn't. But, <laughs> cool, bro. That's awesome. Yeah. You, the first time I ever heard of sports psychology was in the Nike Plus Run app, and they have a sports psychologist named Andy Pettycomb, or his partner is there. And I didn't even think about that being a idea that did not even cross my mind. And now I'm like obsessed. So do you? And he does a lot of like. Um, he actually runs, I think, part of the Headspace app. Um, oh, nice. yeah. You do a lot of like mindful meditation um, and stuff like that to help. Because for me, it's helped. I did it a lot up leading up to my last Muay Thai match. And it uh, a fight at TV is in Iowa. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> we say that because Iowa. It's uh, Iowa. Uh, losing in Iowa is horribly <laughs> more devastating than like, losing in Miami. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, but I did a lot of it because for mm. me, my anxiety definitely would get the best of me and I would go into it and I would have to learn how to like reframe my mindset yeah ground myself in those moments like doing grounding techniques of being like the mat name five things that are black right now okay great or like focus on something and name five things you feel five things you hear and I do it a lot now even in my daily life when I'm feeling Mm -hmm. overwhelmed it helps so much do you do a lot of like that kind of practice as well we learn about it but there's never a point in the program where we try out the skills so everything that I had really known about it is like either watching someone else do it or like reading it in a textbook. Right. And then knowing that it works, knowing the effectiveness of it, because I've read the research and they've done studies on it. Here are the results. Here's all this stuff. So I, I, I would say that in terms of like meditation, I'm like, what are you going to manifest something? Like it sounds like really hippie stuff, you know, to me, because I'm more grounded, like in the science that I, I, I appeal more to like, what does the research say? Like, what does it say? Like in terms of effectiveness here. And it's very easy for people who are like life coaches or not really certified in anything 
to just talk about meditation and talk about things that they don't really know exactly why it works. Um, so my, the whole meditation thing is really hard to do. Um, and it's also like, I've tried it on the headspace app. And if I don't like that person's voice, or if I just don't like what they're saying, I'm just like, fuck this. Like, I can't, I can't. So I, I prefer less of stillness and more of still being active, obviously with the ADD. So I actually led my first workshop, which was on self-talk. And I did this at a friend's gym where I already knew that I was going to be comfortable with the people that were there. And it was almost 20 men, no females. It was all Uh men, all different ages, all different belt levels. And I read that because I'm like, well, I want them to track their thoughts. How the hell do I get people to track their thoughts if they've never even been made aware? So awareness is really, really huge. So I'm like, how do I make people aware? Well, mindfulness, how do I make them mindful? So there's the body scan and then there's the progressive um, wrap the attention release. So usually they do it, I think separately and I did it all together. So I led my first and I think that I should have done it a lot sooner because I became more mindful. I'm literally making it up as I go. All I know, all I know is I need to make them flex and think about each body part from your toe to your head. So I said, you can close your eyes or not. They're all sitting. Um, Some of them closed their eyes. Some of them, you know, whatever, looked around. And I said, all right, so we're going to start in our toes, right? Okay, cool. Scrunch them toes, scrunch them, spread them, spread your toes out like a, like you're a duck, you know, like just for thinking about our toes. All right, cool. Roll your ankles, move your ankles around. We're in our ankles. I hear that crack. We're all pretty old here. And I'm just riffing, okay? And I get up to like the like the hips and I'm like, all right, rotate your hips. You know, you can go from one butt cheek to the other. Like we're in our hips. And then I got to the face and I'm like, okay, move your mouth. Move your mouth. We're just moving our mouth. We're doing weird shit. And I'm looking around and they're doing weird shit. They're getting weird. It was awesome. I'm like, all right, your nose. We're a bunny. We're a bunny. All right. We're sniffing. You know, it's just, I, I was vulnerable. I was like, well, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to just be in the moment. And I know the goal is to keep them grounded and just aware. And if I'm constantly talking and constantly giving them direction, it would be hard to think about anything else. And so I asked them, how was it? What are you feeling? So I gave them three questions. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what are you doing? So I think I had the feeling first, like, what are you guys feeling? And of course, pulling a feeling out of a dude is very hard. Um, And they're like, uh, relax. I'm like, fuck yeah. That's what the book said it was going to (laughs) do. I I did. Yeah, I'm like, accomplished. Cool. And I'm like, what are you thinking? They're like, "Um, I'm thinking about like, what's next and what I'm going to learn. And I'm like, sick, still winning. Okay. And then I'm like, what are we doing? They're like, uh, and I'm like, just yell it out, yell it out. Just give me a word, give me a word. Um, and that like push to just sort of like give that spontaneous thought was watching, listening, sitting. I'm like, that's it. That's literally what you are doing right now. You could have said breathing, blinking, anything, but it brings you to that present moment. And I told them, I said, we're not thinking about that argument that we had with a coworker earlier today. We're not thinking about what we're going to eat for dinner. We're, th- we're thinking about being here. And so I said, you need to be aware. You need to be present. You need to be non-judgmental. So as soon as you think about your thoughts, like that's pretty meta, right? There's like a level of cognition that you're thinking about your thinking, right? 
But what happens when you add judging? So now we're, we're doing the thinking. It's, it happens automatically. Now we're like, we're thinking about our thinking and we're, we're logging it. But now we're going to judge every thought that comes in. Why are we thinking that? And then you just kind of like go off on all of these tangents and now you're no longer present. So mm-hmm. I'm like, try to try to not do that. In in like Buddhist stuff that I've read, they're like, let it pass. I'm like, what the yes. fuck does that mean? Now I'm thinking about a car passing me. Now I'm angry that the car passed me because I want to be the fastest on the road. So you can't tell someone without telling them exactly what they should be doing. Like, and that's what I've realized. What does that look like? What is passing a thought? What does that look like? It means not giving it a feeling, not assigning a judgment to it, but just being like, okay, next, okay, next, or whatever it is that it takes you. So yes, mindfulness, because I became so much more present and aware of what was happening around me that night and for the following days. And this is me leading it. This is not me listening to a script. This is not me doing it just on my own. This is me doing it for other people. And it still had the same effect. So it was one of those things that was like, I remember texting um, a friend that was there. And I'm like, this shit fucking works. <laughs> you know, and like, obviously the books tell you that, yes, this is what it is. This is how you can do it. This is what you're going to accomplish. And this is what has worked in the past, but actually doing it, feeling it, seeing the results in other people, like, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then we moved on to where we did King of the Hill and I gave them certain challenges and situations. And after every role, they would go either write on their phone or a notebook and write just the instant thing. It could be, that guy's a dick. That guy smelled bad. It could be, you know, I can't believe I let that happen. Fuck, I got swept. So it was creating a log of the situation and the thought. So you have the, the situation would be just generally, I gave them the result, the result of your of your round. Um, and then how you felt about it, but that immediate, and then you take that and you take what you have. And now we're saying, is this productive or non-productive? Because uh-huh. if it's not productive, it's not about being negative. So one guy I'm like, so if the guys were all coaching you and you're out there, cause he was a white belt and you start competing, like what would motivate you? And he goes, probably, uh, uh, you're a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, Really? <laughs> yeah, he's like, fuck yeah, dude. Like my, my friends calling me a pussy. Like, fuck no, I'm not, you know. Literally. I um, was like, some of my best, like it feels always like I think that self-talk is so frustrating. But as some as soon as someone says I can't do something, I'm like, Yeah, let me, let me just show you. But do you know what that would fall under? That would fall under negative self-talk. There and it so is. <laughs> So, but, but, but what I'm saying now is if it's, you have to also say, is this productive? Well, is it helping me in my goal? My goal is to get hyped up. I'm not hyped up enough. My friend calls me a pussy. Boom. Now I've raised my arousal level from a four to a seven. And I know that I'm, I operate really well at a seven. So it was productive. It helped you achieve that goal. But from face value, if I would have, if I would have, uh, categorize it as either positive or negative negative would be that connotation of like this doesn't work for you but but if it does it fucking does like who am i to judge so i i i kept it as is this productive or not productive so not productive would be um thinking like um i suck well that's catastrophizing that's that's like putting one one thing and like making it a absolute right then there's the shoulding. 
I shouldn't have let that happen or I should have swept earlier. Well, then that happened. You know, when people are like, you know, they say, and you're like, who the fuck is they? Right. Who's they? Who right? are they? So the, the shooting, the shooting yourself is internalized pressure. So now it's like, well, someone in the day, back in the day, I probably don't even remember whether it was my coach or my, my dad or my mom or my sister or whatever. They're like, this is what you should be doing. Society says, this is how you do it. This is what you do. And anything different is not good or whatever it is that you've internalized. So this should doesn't help you should what, who said that? Right. So then it becomes, I should have done this, but and you're thinking about the present, what you did do. And now we're going to focus on a positive. So I gave them this thought, it was thought tracking. And then it became thought changing into, but so anything that you said that was unproductive, but and then there's a productive spin. And the way that I learned this actually, which I thought about recently, I was never taught it. I just did it because I was told that I was too negative. So when I got my purple belt, it was this person is complaining less and is less negative. And I was like, woohoo, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me being so positive when really it was just the outward. And so I learned that even if I was suffering, nobody wants to hear that. And so it, it came in the form of my Instagram posts. No one wants to listen to you go, I fucking suck. I lost, blah, 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 blah. They want to see you say, I lost, but there's always next time. So it was a little bit forceful in the beginning, but it was more for you know my followers to not be such a negative person. So even though it was ego driven, because I wanted more followers and I wanted people to like actually like me. So I wasn't always negative all the time. But obviously it actually helped me later on because it was like, well, now, regardless of the motivation of why I'm finding something positive about it, now I've taught myself the tool of at least there's this, but there's this. So I called it like the butt, you know? People gravitate um, towards that a lot too, because you do, I mean, you do a lot of hard things. You said you do hard things that a lot of people don't do. So right. if you just take it on your chin and say, eh, you know. I, you know, right. they got the sweep, they got the points they won, but, but I did this right. And uh, there's always next time or whatever. Mm -hmm. People, people tend to cheer that on a little more so than this. They do. I suck. I don't want yeah. to do anymore, you know? like People start going, I don't know what to say to this person yeah. rather than I'll just put the clapping emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also too, I mean, for people like me who I see, like, I think we were just talking about this, how in awe of your ability to like bounce back from something is really like, it's kind of like when I look at how a jellyfish glows, like, I'm like, that's so cool. I want to glow too. How do you glow? You know, like I want to glow <laughs> my jellyfish, you know? So I always look for that because I also want to feel that when I bounce, you know, when I'm having a loss, I don't want to always feel negative. And I don't want you to hear that. I just, yeah. I, I'm seeking constantly out that knowledge of how to do something. Yeah. I think the for biggest, sorry, go ahead. I, I think for me, a lot of it's been like, I try to categorize it as, okay, I'm one of a very small percentage of people that do this really hard thing. And the other person on the, on the other side of the cage, Matt, whatever, has also been one of those small percentage of people that's working really hard at this really hard thing. And maybe I lost this one time or, you know, or, or I maybe I won here or whatever. It's just it's I don't know. I, I 
not put myself on a pedestal, but also like it, it helps me feel about better about myself as far as like, okay, it's a really hard thing. And it, it was just that maybe just, yeah, maybe it was that bad day. Maybe I didn't eat my the same cereal. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's counting the small wins also. Sure. Um, Part of also like, so I was brought, I say brought up because I feel like I grew up in the jiu-jitsu world, but it was a lot of like, let's not even mention it. Let's just not even say that. Let's not, let's just pretend, or let's not tell people our problems because then they're going to think about their own problems. So it became like shoving it under the rug, which is shame and guilt. And that's just not where you want to be. And so I realized that the, the, but would be acknowledging that this fucking sucks. I'm not putting it under the rug. Like it's not that it's null. It exists. It is, it is valid. It is valid to feel this way and I'm going to feel it and I'm going to cry and I'm going to do these things, but now I'm going to move forward. So it's not, it's not changing in terms of like, no, don't ever think this like you're, it's called spontaneous self-talk for a reason. You're going to think that way. You're going to feel that way. And that's totally fucking normal and fine. But now we're going to dig ourselves out of that hole mentally. And we're going to do that for ourselves. So like, that's kind of where I come from is like, I help people self-advocate because advocating is really hard. I've, I've had to like help people who are like, I don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, well, you need to ask for it. You need to ask for what you want. You're not always going to get it. And obviously there's tact involved, but you won't know until you try. My mom always said, when we go to the store and we're trying, we're we're looking at clothes, she goes, you don't know until you try it on. She is not right. She is like, like people would be like, I don't like that food. I'm like, well, have you tried it? They're like, no. I'm like, then how the fuck do you know if you don't like it? I get mad. (laughs) Like, like, why are you judging it? You never even gave it a chance. Like, you know, uh, you can just cast it off. I feel like as a person, I've been cast off because they're like, oh, you're negative or you're whiny or you complain or this, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but look at all my other things that I can do. <laughs> like I am, I'm both. You can be both, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. Amazing. Well, okay. So where can um people find all of your information. So I have my Instagram, which is just my name, Aaron Hurley. Um, I've realized that I should probably create my own um, thing for the consulting portion because <laughs> people have been, like, I've been trying to like put knowledge posts and people just like, go, Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> or, or like, here's some hearts. <laughs> And I'm like, no, 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 like read the info, like read, read the caption, um, learn something, ask me questions about it. Let's discuss. So I need to create a separate space for that. So I haven't figured that out, but it will be soon. Um, and then my website, erinhurley.com and submit the stigma, uh, the Instagram handle, as well as submitthestigma.org. You can sign up for the workshops there and donate and read about our values and, and what we do and our goals. And I think. I think that's it. Yeah. Amazing. Oh yeah. This has been very helpful. I honestly, partly, partly why I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this podcast to bring all the people who are going to give me all the knowledge that I possibly need to be better because yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm like, dude, I need to start a podcast. Like I I need to do it and bring people in and like, I want to pick their brain too, you know? Yes. Literally. I'm like, if Terry Gross can do it. Yeah. Hearing hearing people's stories and stuff is 
so interesting to me and where everybody gets like that's why we ask the origin stories like yeah. how are you here why are you here and what keeps you going in this moment and, that's and super we cool. almost forgot our favorite question which is what is your superpower my superpower is oh fuck um <laughs> being really witty and inadvertently hurting people's feelings with my snarky remarks I roast people and it's just effortless. Um, and then I have to be like, oh my God, it just came out. You know, I'm sorry. so sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean it. So but clever. Sorry. I, I am so sorry that that was a spot on roast and that you could not handle it. Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. And it only happens when like, it's just like those little retorts, you know? And then literally I hang out with all the people that give me the props, but every once in a while you meet someone and then they like take it a little too seriously. And I'm like, now you I know? have to see I'm sorry. Yeah, like now I really took a chunk of their self-esteem and just bruh. like threw it in the trash. <laughs> it ain't like that, bruh. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so smart and witty and clever. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, you can't handle this greatness. But <laughs> when you find someone who's really good at doing it back, then you have like magic. My husband. <laughs> yeah, he he roasts. Thank you. Like, yeah, he he roasts me more than any person ever can. <laughs> Um, and he stole my heart that way. I love it. I love it. You're like, <laughs> what I, I'm doing, I'm amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we just kind of like go at it until we realize like, maybe we're not joking anymore. So we should stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm crying. Yeah. Just, oh. oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Truly. Yeah. Thank you for everything that you've done for bringing awareness to it. Um, also I'm going to shout out the suicide hotline too if you guys ever feel any of those emotions that you just don't know what to do with or you're having any kind of suicidal thoughts please call the hotline you can call them or text them at 988 i believe it is yes they just put that in place yeah 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 so it is a quick three-digit number we have it all over our house don't ever feel ashamed about calling there's some great people out there who just want to help talk you through everything so 988 if you need anything Thank you. Thank you. Yay.